our goal is very specific. So we have three tracks. It's a professional development track, mentoring and sponsorship, and then we also have social and community engagement. And so between those three offerings, the women are incredibly engaged. For us, the key way to engage people is to find areas where they have a development opportunity and sort of match them. For example, maybe they have an interest in project management, but they don't have the actual experience on their resume. We can put them on an event and have them work on, you know, planning an event, which uses those project management skills. So then they're able to, you know, reference that in job interviews as some actual real world experience. Those are my two guests for this episode of ERG Power Talk. In this episode, we will focus on what successful resource group leaders do to attract and engage members. Why do some groups seem to be people magnets that draw in and fully engage members? What do they do differently from groups who appear to struggle to get people? And when they do get people, continue to struggle to get them to show up at meetings or take part in special committees or projects. All this and more will be discussed, but before we begin, let's pause to review our mission and acknowledge our sponsors. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors. Atrium Health, Fredert Health and Wisconsin Medical College, Mass Mutual, Lockheed Martin, Avenod, Daimler Trucks North America, and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Now, let's go straight to the program. We've got a packed program today, so let's meet our panel. She is known as a purpose-driven, results-oriented healthcare professional and is the new leader of a resource group that recently experienced in one month a 1,300% increase in membership. Hi, I am Monifa Drayton and I am an Assistant Vice President at Atrium Health. Our next panelist is a career leader with various aspects of customer service in a 169-year-old company. She is also what I call a serial group leader who's held committee and leadership roles in two of her company's BRGs. Hi, my name is Lynn Pellerano and I'm an insurance operations director at MassMutual. Monifa, Lynn, welcome to ERG Power Talk. Let's start with you, Monifa. What resource group do you chair? I am the uh, co-lead for A-Square We Excel, which is the African-American women's group for Atrium, which is African-American women exemplifying a commitment to equity and leadership. Love that. That's fantastic. And Lynn, what about you? What resource group do you chair? So uh, thanks, Joe. Currently, I am the vice chair for the Armed Forces Veterans and Families Business Resource Group. And I've also previously been the chair and vice chair for the Pride, which is our LGBTQ business resource group here at MassMutual. Got it. So you've become a professional chair then. Yeah. And I've actually uh, went through a few of the other roles like secretary and treasurer. So uh, yeah, I definitely have a tattoo that says BRG leader. So 
Got you. So Lynn, I'm going to stay with you then and ask you the next question, which is, how did you become a resource group chair and how long have you been in this role that you are in now, plus collectively? Because it sounds like you've been in a lot of different chair and committee roles with ERGs. Yep. So uh, this is my second year as the vice chair. Uh, and uh, we have two-year terms for each of our four officer positions. And prior to that, I was the secretary for the Armed Forces Veterans and Families Business Resource Group. Uh, and then prior to that, I was a general member. Uh, and then probably, call it seven or eight years ago, I had been very involved with the Pride Business Resource Group and sort of worked my way through their officer role, starting out as the treasurer, and then moving into the vice chair role, and then into the chair role. Uh, so that's uh, really, if you think about it, my involvement in a leadership capacity with the BRGs has been for about eight years now. Wow, that's great. I was going to ask you if you have another group in mind, you know, for your for your next <laughs> for your next phase. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I also do some facilitation of diversity inclusion. Uh, uh, courses at the company. So uh, we joke about the fact that I get paid to be an insurance operations director, but my other full-time job is diversity inclusion work. Yeah, I hear you. That's great. And Monifa, what about you? How long have you been in a role as a resource group chair? Well, so this is an interesting story. So in 2014, uh, I approached our leadership. We had just started the, the SRG path uh, with Atrium Health. And so I went and asked if we could have an, a group for African-American women specifically. Uh, and at that time, it just wasn't a good time because we had started a women's uh, executive leadership group. So we were focusing in on that for a few years. So last year, I approached our new leadership and asked again, and, and they said, absolutely. And that is how uh, it started. But even in 2014, when they said now wasn't a good time, we still kind of had a, an unofficial group. And so when we launched in February of 2020, uh, it was we were already kind of stable anyway. So once we became official, it has taken off. That's great. And isn't that the way these groups actually started in the beginning? They started out being unofficial groups where people got together and then they ended up becoming groups that were supported by the companies. And I generally tell companies, you know, when they say, well, we're not sure if we'll continue this ERG, I tell them what you mean is not that you're going to discontinue the ERG. What you mean is that you're going to take your hands off of it. But trust me, if people want to get together, they'll get together. They'll find a way to do it. They'll do it in the cafeteria, they'll go to dinner together, or they'll find some other way. And the best thing is if you're going to have a group like that, harness it, support it, work with it, and get some value out of it. So uh, yeah, that's the origin of most ERGs, exactly the way you just described yours. So how many years have you been doing this again? You said you started in 20. 14? Well, the official group started February 2020, this, this year. So a few months ago, we launched, a few, yes, we launched a few months ago. And so it has been absolutely amazing. And the timing could not be better because we look at what's going on all across our country right now, um, as far as the civil unrest. So the timing was perfect for this group. Absolutely. But if you really count the unofficial start when it actually started sort of you're talking about six years <laughs> yeah six years got you okay good good stuff so uh let me stay with you money for for this uh for this next question so you know for the purposes of our discussion let's define attraction as evoking interest in your group and let's define engagement as gaining an emotional commitment from people for your group so with those two definitions in mind how engaged would you say that your group is? So our entire design is, is very intentional. Uh, so it is very far away from just a club that gets together. 
our goal is very specific to leadership development. So we have actually three tracks. It's a professional development track, mentoring and sponsorship, because historically, uh, black women are under-sponsored. We have a lot of mentors, but we are very, we are critically under-sponsored. So we have a specific group for that, a, a committee for that. And then we also have social and community engagement because we truly recognize our, our need to be present because representation matters. And so we are very intentional about being represented even in our community. And so between those three offerings, the women are incredibly engaged. So from our unofficial group, we were around 200. Uh, within a month, we are now at 2,700 members. So we have within our professional development, we do a lot of, we have book clubs and our first book club, we read, uh, we read a book and we weren't sure how many people were going to actually show up for a book club on a Saturday. We had 76 women to show up on Zoom for, for our book club. So engagement has not been an, an issue at all uh, because we have so a uh, wide variety of offerings. The, the, if there is an issue, it is how can we keep up with this insatiable appetite? That is because as soon as we finish one thing, they say, well, what's next? And so we're finding we're doing things all of the time. And our committee leaders who are phenomenal, we're like, wait, we got another job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. No, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I can see right away why that would be attractive and it would, you know, it would get engagement because it's offering so much that really is a value to them. So you're really speaking to their needs. You know what I'd like to explore just a little more with you is this idea of sponsorship. I love that focus that you have on sponsorship because I think that that's a common challenge that people find and that's a great thing to offer. It's probably, it's, it's a really unique and attractive type offering because people will go out and they'll meet people and they'll form these mentorship relationships and they'll end up having 20 mentors, but none of those mentors can really speak on their behalf when they're not around or put some uh, some social capital on the line for them to get them opportunities. And I just wanted to know a little more about how does this sponsorship program work? What is it that you guys do in order to help people find uh, sponsors specifically? So our committee lead for that, she's phenomenal. Her name is uh, Jamie Tynan. And when we were discussing how will we bring this together, you know, immediately we thought mentorship. And she said, no, no, it has to be mentorship and sponsorship. And I said, you're exactly right. And so we we, uh, launched our application June 1st with, excuse me, May 1st with the close of June 1st. We had so many applicants to apply to receive a mentor and sponsor. So from the sponsorship perspective, we are looking at director level and above to take on these, these, uh, these women who want sponsors. And the goal will be to, to be more than a mentor, but help to guide their career. Uh, because as with all industries, you don't see a lot of women in executive level leadership positions. And that was actually our challenge because we did have, we were working to find leaders to match them with. And so we, you know, that, that's our goal. So they have to be director or level, director or above in order to be a sponsor, because the goal is to get them moving forward and upward. That's excellent. So Lynn, let's turn to you now. Same question. How engaged do you say that your group is and what are you doing to get that engagement? So I guess I would classify our level of engagement as very good overall. I think our engagement level is strongest actually within our family members and ally segments. Uh, so, you know, we certainly are, our BRG represents the people that are currently serving in the military or who have served in the military. But at Mass Mutual, we actually have eight business resource groups, and every single one of them welcomes openly allies 
Um, you know, for so for AFVF, as we as we shorten the full name, you know, we have a, a large portion of our members are actually family members and allies. So that those segments of our membership population are extremely engaged. And uh, what we are actually focusing on this year is a very targeted strategic effort is to really elevate the engagement of our members who have served in the military or are currently serving. And, you know, when you think about measuring engagement, there's a, a lot of different ways. Um, you know, Manifa, you gave a, a great membership number, and I was in awe of, of hearing that growth rate in just such a short period of time. Um, and so we do also look at our, our membership number, but it really is about who's actually showing up, who's actually saying, I will help with that. I will help you achieve your strategic objectives. So some of the ways that we do that is, you know, we certainly look at some of the, the quantifiable metrics like attendance at events. Um, you know, we have internal events, of course. We have external events where we go out into the community and there's volunteer opportunities for our members to support different organizations. Um, certainly, we have regular general membership meetings where we uh, bring in speakers. So, for example, this month is PTSD Awareness Month. Uh, and, of course, in the, in the military community, but frankly, any of us can have PTSD. Uh, Manifa, I know, you know, your community right now is, is experiencing that. We're actually looking at a collaborative opportunity with our Passages Business Resource Group because uh, they represent our Black and African American uh, employees as well as their allies. You know, so I think that there's, you know, certainly how many people show up. But the other way to measure engagement for us is we have, we have different committees that focus on different events, like Monifa mentioned with her, her BRG. And it's who's actually joining those committees, who is actually saying, I will work on that. I have an interest in that. Uh, or they may actually have a development opportunity where, for example, maybe they have an interest in project management, but they don't have the actual experience on their resume. We can put them on an event and have them work on, you know, planning an event, which uses those project management skills. So then they're able to, you know, reference that in job interviews as some actual real world experience that they've had at the company. So for us, that is a key way to engage people is to find areas where they have a passion for, areas where they have a development opportunity and sort of match them with our committee work that supports our business plan. Fascinating stuff. So let me ask you this, Lynn, if you were to look at all the things that you're doing and you were to single out one thing and just zoom in on it and say, this is the primary reason for our members' high level of engagement, what would that one thing be? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I thought a little bit about that before, before our time together. And uh, to be honest with you, I think it all starts at the point that someone says, I want to join that BRG. So we have a very robust onboarding program for all new members where effectively what we do is we, you know, welcome them within a few days of us learning that they've joined through our, uh, you know, one of our employee tools that we have here. We get information pushed out to us. Uh, we welcome them. We give them key information, past newsletters, access to our um, internal Microsoft Teams site that they can see what events are coming up. They can see conversations. There's different channels. If you're a family member, uh, you can join, you know, whatever is really relative to you. And then what we do is we don't just send them an email, say, welcome to our group, and then, you know, they never hear from us again. 
I think the robustness of the onboarding program, and we make a direct connection with that person, uh, somebody from the leadership team reaches out and makes sure that we touch base and they know we're happy to have them. We learn a little bit about, you know, why they decided to join our particular BRG, because frankly, they have eight choices uh, that they could be a part of. Uh, and then the next thing that we do is we actually invite them to a meeting where they'll meet other new members. And that's where we go a little bit deeper into, hey, we have a business plan. This this business resource group is run like a business. We have a budget. We have committees. These are the things that people are working on. And then the, the way to sort of, you know, make sure that they stay really engaged is we make an ask. We say, you know. Um, you know, is there something that interests you right now that you'd like to learn a little bit more about? We'll connect you with that committee lead. And sometimes it's, it's a lot to take in and sometimes they're not ready to pull the trigger right then and there uh, on joining, but we will follow up with them, really try to make sure that, uh, you know, they're just not a name on a list uh, that we push out communications to. Yeah, no doubt it. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about how similar what you were just describing is to what's called in business marketing a drip campaign. You literally have like a constant flow of information and it's sort of like an escalating courtship. You welcome them, you give them sort of a general idea. And then as you get to know them and they get to know you, you kind of funnel them down a particular path of areas where they can get value and benefit. So it's a full press court engagement process that you guys are using, which is great. Yeah, and the other, the other thing that uh, we're actually aggressively pursuing this year is, uh, to, to Manifa's point about, you know, mentorship and sponsorship, we're actually going to be launching what we were going to call a battle buddy program, you know, where we will be pairing up new members with someone who has served or is currently serving in the military because one of the, you know, biggest, uh, I think, impacts to our loss of talent is people who have been in the military or are currently serving, it's very difficult for them to understand how to navigate corporate America. It's a very, very different culture from the military. So if they want to get promoted at Mass Mutual, it's a very different process to what they're accustomed to. So that's going to be another way that we really feel is going to really elevate the engagement of those military members uh, as I mentioned earlier, that, you know, that's where our greatest opportunity is. So so we're super excited to, to get that off the ground. We're in the, the sort of formative stages and the planning stages of that. But that's a very key uh, element of our strategy this year. That's excellent. So, Monifa, let's bring you back into this conversation now. So you mentioned a lot of things before that I thought, as I was listening to you, I thought, man, that's a great I mean, you've got like one attraction, then another attraction. There are multiple, multiple reasons layered there. But if you were to basically, you know, zero in on one thing and say, hey, this is the top reason for our level of member engagement, what would you say that is? So in 2014, when I approached our leadership at that time, uh, the turnover was, was significantly high for uh, African-American women. And so in an effort to keep everybody on, on, on the ship and, and on board, that was the initial reason, and that trend has, has been it, it has been consistent. And so, because we have a very large hospital system, uh, oftentimes the well, not oftentimes, but the African American women, we are kind of peppered through and scattered throughout, um, and we don't make up a very large portion percentage of the overall workforce. And so, I think the op and I know the opportunity to connect has been is really the major draw because it doesn't matter what we offer, they're there and they're present. And we have, and I personally have had women 
um, who have become teary-eyed and have said, you know, thank you so much for doing this because I now feel a part of this hospital. I now feel a part of the team. There's someone who understands me. There's someone who I organically connect with. So overall, it is the opportunity for connection that we all need. And so that is the reason that the women are drawn to this. Uh, because as soon as someone tells someone about it, they, they just pull in immediately. We have not had to do heavy recruitment. Uh, it was just that desire to feel a part of, uh, to feel connected, and to see someone who looks like you sometimes. Uh, because it is, it, it is, it we make up a small percentage of the workforce. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Let me ask you this then. Was there a particular point in time when you had sort of like an aha moment that you realized that that was the main attractant, that that was the thing that you needed to do, that that's sort of organically come about? Or was it from the very beginning, you looked around the room and you said, huh, there's something missing here. And I think that this group can provide it. How, how did that come about for you? It was actually during our launch. We were very intentional about having our launch in February because that is Black History Month. And so we were very intentional about that. And we weren't really sure how many people were going to come or if, you know, we just weren't really sure. And so we put the invitation out and then we saw it go up to 100. And we only had, we were really supposed to only have, I think, two or 300. We had to cut it off at 400. And as I was standing at the podium on the night of our launch, it will forever be one of the most overwhelming experiences. And I say overwhelming in a positive way because I looked around and it was, you know, it was black women at, in, in the, you know, on the second floor looking down, it was, it was black women everywhere and it was so many tears and it was so just it was a feeling that was energetic and when I looked around I said this is long overdue um people have not felt connected and now the women feel connected it was it was absolutely amazing it was absolutely amazing so that was the night that I said this it's the connection we need to feel connected and a part of and that's what this group supplies very interesting. Would you say the same is true of other groups, or do you think that there are probably different elements, gaps, or things that are missing that need to be filled that connect different groups? Like, for example, a military group, like what Lynn was talking about a little while ago, versus African-American women, or for that matter, maybe uh, Asian groups or Hispanic groups might have something similar in that they there might be a small percentage and they disperse throughout the company. But I guess what I'm getting at is, is the message here that it's about always, that that's the primary thing, always connection, or is the message here that you discovered something or through your own intuition, looking at it through the lenses of your own eyes and understanding that role from, from a first person standpoint, that you realize, hey, for this particular group, this is the thing. This is the thing that brings them all together. Right. I, it absolutely makes sense. And I do believe that, you know, the concept of a system resource group is very necessary because especially in very large organizations where it's easy to kind of fall through the cracks. Um, I strongly believe that all of the SRGs provide a space and a platform to connect to someone who understands your path. They are inclusive, very inclusive, but just having someone who you can you connect naturally and you organically connect with because just just from a human nature perspective we gravitate to people who are most like us and that is who we are most comfortable with and so that's what i, I truly believe all srgs provide a place where you can have a common organic platform with those in your group 
That makes sense. And for our listeners who are not familiar with the terminology, because we call these things different things, we call them ERGs, BRGs, EBRGs. In uh, Atrium Health, you call them SRGs or system resource groups. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And Lynn, I believe you called yours BRGs. Yeah, and it's interesting. We actually, when our first uh, group launched formally, uh, and you said it earlier, Joe, uh, they were a group, but they were not formally supported by a diversity and inclusion department because, frankly, we didn't even have one back then, you know, call it 12, 15 years ago. But people were gathering. Um, and so back then, they were called employee resource groups. And then I think about three or four years ago, strategically, uh, diversity inclusion guided us to switch to a business resource group model. Uh, and you mentioned that earlier around business value and how do we bring value. So by, by naming us in this way, that really always keeps it front of mind. We are still very employee-centric, you know, whether we're helping with people's development or um, just providing any other kind of resources. But we also make sure that our strategy aligns very closely with the enterprise strategy where we can add value. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, but these groups, one of the things that I've learned from doing so many of these podcasts and talking to so many people and talking to so many of the groups when I'm on site in different organizations is that even when the group is focused on, let's say, supporting an employee group or, or a demographic of employee groups. There is a business benefit out of that. And that business benefit is that to the point that Monifa made before as well, when people feel more connected, that emotional connection that they all felt when they were standing on the second floor and they were all over and listening, they feel like they then belong and that they're connecting with other people who are similar to them, who can be a bridge to the other people in the organization as well. That is priceless because organizations pay hundreds of millions of dollars to get that level of engagement. And yet ERGs aren't getting hundreds of millions of dollars, but yet are helping the organization to achieve that, right? They're helping the organization to achieve that, that human connection. So that's important. Then there are other studies that show that people are more energized because they, they have that feeling and that makes them more committed to the work they do. And I could go on and on and on. But even when you're not doing something specific that, let's say, has a revenue impact, which some ERGs and BRGs have done, you're still doing something that has a value impact, a measurable value impact uh, in the organization. So what did we learn from this first half of this episode? One, successful chairs pay attention to their members' spoken and unspoken needs. Like marketers with their customers, these chairs are experts in what their members and prospects want and need. Two, successful chairs employ a well-choreographed process to engage members. It's not accidental. It's a process that begins when the member is a prospect and never ends. Three, finally, successful chairs encourage relationships between new and existing group members. This thickens the bonds of friendship and mutual support between all of the members. Coming up, we are going to look at how these chairs evolve themselves and their groups to meet new and unexpected member needs. We'll look at how they keep in the know and respond as needed. All this when we come back, but first, let's take a short break 
break to revisit our mission and recognize our sponsors who bring you this program. I'll see you on the other side. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors. Atrium Health, Freighter Health and Wisconsin Medical College, Mass Mutual, Lockheed Martin, Avenod, Daimler Trucks North America, and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Now, let's go straight to the program. And we're back. Let's rejoin our panel. So, Monifa, let's talk about the longevity of this or the, the ability for this to continue, this, this uh, energy this connection, this uh, attraction and engagement. So one of the unfortunate things that happens with resource groups sometimes is that under one chair, a certain amount of progress is made, and then that chair steps down, leaves, maybe they leave the organization or they just leave that particular role, and a new chair takes over, and maybe they don't have the experience or for whatever reason, some of those benefits evaporate. So one of the questions I have is, have you taken any steps to institutionalize your attraction and engagement practices. So when someday another chair steps into that role, they can maintain the momentum of what you've started. Absolutely. So I've created a succession plan and a strategic plan as well that covers our first year, our three-year, and then a five-year. I have a co-lead who is also a mentee. And when I step out of this role, then she will step in because she will have had two years to really learn the ropes. And then she'll, she'll have a co-lead. And so having co-leads, so each of the uh, committee chairs, they do have a co-lead. And that co-lead is almost a, a lead in training. And so that is how we will uh, continue this, this moving forward. Uh, so between the succession planning, the ensuring that we have a co-lead, and then the strategic plan, uh, I, I'm, very, I'm very confident that we'll be able to keep uh, this going. And, and if, if we didn't, I'm sure, the, you know, if anything should happen, I'm sure that there are, one of the 2,700 women will say, what are we having next week? I'm sure of it. <laughs> so, they're not going to let it drop. <laughs> they're not wilting flowers, are they? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Got it. So, is this something that's then part of the charter or your policy or the way you guys are set up so that just as you're creating this succession and you have this colleague, when this person steps into the shoes that you're in, they will duplicate that process and they will select someone as a colleague and the same process will then continue, rinse and repeat so many generations down through the CRG. Is that pretty much the way it works? Yes, and I believe that that is actually the model, the co-lead model that our other SRGs have. Uh, Peggy Harris, who is our assistant vice president over um, in our office of, of DNI, she has you know created a really strong uh, network and support to care for all of our SRGs. She's done a phenomenal job with that, and so I believe that this is the model that the others have as well. Um, but that is definitely what what we're doing is making sure that this does not stop. It can't stop because it it is too it is too important to the development 
of our black women in our system. So it, it has to continue. Absolutely. Especially now, I think it's becoming even more important than it was ever before. So same question for you, Lynn, uh, you know, in, in terms of how have you guys sort of baked in the processes that you have that act to attract and to engage people, how have you baked them in to make sure that this continues after your administration and you move on out of that chair or somebody else moves in and you move on to lead another group, as I'm sure you'll do? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, think, uh, I think a trifecta is not in my future. <laughs> so, uh, and especially because I want to let others, you know, lead. I'm happy to be an engaged member and, and consult. But, uh, you know, so uh, I think a couple things, uh, you know, one of the things that we do, so when I hear the word institutionalize, I, I think of at the, at the BRG level, so for us in our AFVF BRG, but when I hear institutionalize, I also think across the other eight BRGs. So uh, very regularly, all of our BRG leaders, the chairs and the vice chairs and in the, the respective roles meet very regularly. We communicate, we share best practices so that we can all benefit from each of our learnings. So I think that also helps to institutionalize it, not just within our group, but of course across uh, the business resource rooms. We are blessed to have uh, a role in diversity and inclusion who, who really helps to make sure there's continuity across the BRGs. Uh, certainly we all have different goals and objectives and affinities and areas of focus, but there is a lot of benefit to us sharing a lot of that information. So I think you know at the local level, you know, one of the things that we ensure that we do is we actually will have, so for example, when I end my term this year, my second term is the vice chair, this year we had a new chair come in. So there will be continuity where the same chair will be in place when there's a new vice chair. So that will also help to make sure that we don't lose any ground that we have gained on, on, on engagement. And then the final thing I think at the local level in our BRG is, you know, having that committee structure and having leaders who are leading those committees and making sure that, uh, you know, they're focused and they're committed to particularly that onboarding process and making sure that their committees have robust opportunities for people. That's another way to uh, ensure engagement does not fall by the wayside. And we also, and Manifa mentioned succession planning, you know, we are able to pick from our committee leads to potentially be the future officers. So, for example, when I roll off, maybe one of our committee leads may become our vice chair. Who knows? Got it. No, that's great. That makes sense. And Lynn, while, while I have you, what about like in terms of these, I mean, these groups, you've had them for a while now, and you mentioned how they started out very similar to the way that uh, Monifa's group started out. It was sort of like an informal meeting of people. And how are you guys set up in terms of continuing your own evolution? Because you want to continue the things that are working, but you also want to continue evolving. You want to continue, especially now, like for example, I'm sure that COVID-19 forcing everybody to work from home probably called for you guys to evolve in some ways. How were you set up to handle that evolution? How resilient in terms of the way your network is set up? How were you able to absorb that? And then, of course, I'm sure that with what's happened in towns all over the United States, which is just an extension of what's been going on, unfortunately, for years with people getting murdered and stuff like that and, and all the social unrest that is, that's come as a result of that, I'm sure that that's 
probably introduce another element that your groups have to now stand back and say, hey, how do we address that? So in 2020, we've already had at least two that I can identify, one being COVID-19, and the other one is these other things that have happened with social unrest that, that have resulted in social unrest because of these horrendous things that have happened. How are you guys set up to evolve? So, so it's a great question, and I, and I think uh, it's an important one, because evolution is critical, frankly, for all of us as humans, but you know, to this, to this conversation, to uh, employee resource groups, uh, you know, system resource groups, business resource groups, um, all of our BRGs are on that continuum of evolution, but we're all at different stages. So I think there's the evolution of your strategy, the evolution of the impact that you have on the business, and, and sort of that more of a longer-term evolution. Uh, and I think the way that we are successful doing that, there's a lot of different ways, but just off the top of my head, a couple I can cite is making sure you're always learning. You're always listening uh, and, and uh, plug for you, Joe, bringing in partners like yourself uh, and, and others that we work with. That helps our business resource groups evolve because we learn as leaders. We, we Our leaders who lead us learn as well. Uh, so I think that's super important. But specifically around, um, and, and I guess I would call it maybe nimbleness or agility, to um, you know, change when the environment changes. And I think that kind of terminology lends itself well to the examples you gave around COVID-19 and what's happening in the country. So we've always had a bit of a challenge in terms of how to engage our remote workforce. You know, we have employees across the country. Uh, and so this situation with COVID-19 has almost forced us to really sit down and brainstorm as BRGs, how can we be more engaging? So our group in particular will do things like, you know, we'll call them, uh, we call them sit reps, which is a military term, but uh, it's basically, you know, a meeting where it's the state of the state, how is everybody doing? You go around Robin, and, and to be honest with you, one of the topics that's, that's been brought up in the past couple of weeks is what's happening in this country, is, you know, how people are feeling. Uh, you know, whether it's about being stuck at home and in quarantine, or it's about the, you know, inequities and the injustices that are happening to our brothers and sisters in the Black and African American community. Yeah, and I can imagine, too, that in a vet group, there's going to be some feelings around how, how military people have kind of been dragged into this. Have you got any feedback on that in terms of how people feel about that? Yeah, it's, it's a great, timely question. Uh, we actually just met with our executive sponsor yesterday, and we spent almost our entire time with him talking about the challenges our BRG faces with not politicizing, because that's a very slippery slope in the business arena, uh, not politicizing our position and, uh, you know, what the group has to offer and how we, uh, you know, bring sense of community across the entire enterprise um, you know, but we also, you know, acknowledge very fully that, and we're seeing it right now, just, you know, in, you know, general walking, you know, with President Trump and, you know, how that really created uh, a perception that, you know, the, the military is being parlayed uh, in, in sort of a political, uh, you know, way. And so, you know, uh, good on the, the leadership to come out and say that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. So we open up a forum for our members to talk about uh, things like that. And 
Um, you know, you, you know, you hear things that you don't know if they're true or not. And, um, you know, around, especially like the National Guard and how they're, you know, helping to ensure peaceful protests. And, and so we, the military community is being brought in. It, it's sort of an unavoidable uh, thing right now, but it is definitely on everybody's mind. And I think it's just important that a company has a forum for people to talk about how they feel, to express how they feel. Um, we have um, a uh, approach at our company where we call it Brave Space. And our Passages Business Resource Group, which represents our Black and African American community, just actually held an enterprise-wide event uh, via Zoom to really talk about everything that happened, uh, you know, not just because of George Floyd's death, but frankly, for the past, you know, three, four hundred years, uh, you know, what's been happening to our brothers and sisters in that community. Uh, and it was probably one of the most widely attended events. So it's really about creating dialogue, but creating it where people can be brave. And even if they don't agree, they can express that, that they can do it in a respectful way and that they're also coming from a place of learning. And that's engaging and attracting because people want to, I mean, every single Every single group, I'm sure, is affected in one way or the other uh, over everything that's been going on in the last year here. And, I mean, it's taken a heightened sense in the last year or so. But some of these things have been going on, let's see, 2020, how about 401 years? So it's, it's got a long history. So, Monifa, kind of the same question here, especially, I would imagine, you know, your particular group, like, how's your group been, you know, dealing with this and, and handling this? Because, again, part of the... I think part of the engagement and part of the attraction of what you guys offer is that you address what people need at the time that they need. And right now, this is a topic that needs to be addressed. So just wondering, like from your end, what are you hearing and how are you addressing it? So when we launched in February, we had an amazing six-month plan of, you know, getting out and meeting and all of these things. We, you know, we were, we were so excited. February 27th, we launched. March is when everything shut down. And so we really don't know a life outside of virtual connection. And so being that we are healthcare workers, when the entire COVID, you know, the pandemic started at the onset, when we really started to see it and, and we saw our government really um, taking action, it was really at the beginning of, of March. And that's when our, all of our external events, we, we received an email that said, oh, no, 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 you all can't do external events. We are now shutting everything down. And so we had to adapt quickly and we had to be flexible and we had to say, how will we stay connected and keep this group going without being able to hug each other, without being able to see each other or being in the same room? Uh, as healthcare workers, COVID was in the beginning of the pandemic was incredibly stressful because often when people think of healthcare workers, they think of our clinicians such as doctors or nurses. However, there are so many other people who are impacted on both the business side and the clinical side. Collectively, we were hurting, everyone was. And to add a layer to that of just feeling that the old, just feeling that sense of a pandemic is coming as a healthcare worker, when it was realized that the group that was dying the most were African-Americans due to all, to current uh, health disparities and socioeconomic reasons, uh, it added another layer of just emotional hurt to us. And so I knew that we needed to connect. I knew that we could not connect outside. We needed to connect. 
So I called our um, chaplain, who's amazing, uh, Chaplain uh, Carl, and we hosted our very first sister support session. And we didn't know how many people would be on. Uh, we were well over 200 people who joined within a matter of days. They adjusted their schedule and joined in a matter of days just to have that opportunity to connect, to say how they were feeling, and to release that. And then have uh, Chaplain Carl to take us through a guided conversation on how we can cope. Because again, we were struggling, uh, just emotionally struggling with the pandemic. And then here we, we learned that it is our family. Uh, many of us knew people or several people who succumbed to the coronavirus. And so it was dual uh, hurt that we were trying to work through. Uh, additionally, we, because we're spread across a, a tremendous footprint, we have uh, instituted area ambassadors. And so our area ambassadors, they create social meetings via vir virtual platforms uh, in which they get together, they do uh, something called a meet and eat where it's a virtual lunch or a lunch, a virtual happy hour. Uh, so it's called the meet and eat and we have them in all of our different markets, north, south, west, and east markets. So we do that as well. So we have done a lot to make sure that we stay connected. Um, as Lynn just shared, uh, a couple of days ago, our office of DNI scheduled a fishbowl conversation for the entire system. And uh, it was, so a fit with the fishbowl conversation, first we had our black men to be in the fishbowl conversation uh, in which they talked about their feelings. They were asked a series of questions. And then we had the black women to do the same. I believe that was one of our highest attended uh, events that our system has had. We had over, we had close to 2,000 uh, teammates from across the system to dial in, to hear what black men and black women thought going through this very, very emotionally charged and racially sensitive time. Um, but afterwards, I got a text message from one of the women and she said, Mo, everybody calls me Mo. So she said, Mo, I feel so heavy. I, after this, that's so heavy. Then I started getting more and more emails and texts. I said, okay, we don't have a lot of time. I said, what I'll do is put together a, uh, we'll just do a call, just put a call out, whoever wants to join, you know, they can join. We're just gonna do a pulse check and see how everybody is breathing right now. And we had close to 70 people who joined a call that we put out there two hours ahead of time. And the tears that were happening on the call, uh, because again, this is something as African-American women, we've always known, but now we're in it and we're in it every day. And these are our husbands and our brothers and our sons who, we grieve for and we worry about. So to have that connection where women were able to say, hey, my husband goes for a jog in the morning. He can't go without me anymore. My son said he was going to go and get milk. He cannot go without me. And to hear 70 women saying, please keep my son covered in prayer. Please remember my son. To have that connection, that this has been a critical time. We weren't supposed to start in 2014. We were supposed to start now. And, you know, it's just when you think about it, as you were talking about it, and, and you know, because you're looking at it through that perspective that every person in the African-American community probably knows somebody that they lost to COVID-19. And then on top of that, this other thing happens. And then and that just takes us, you know, just like rips another piece of skin off in terms of I'm living in, a, in my own country where I'm in danger uh, or my family's in danger. Yeah, and that is that is the, the main issue because as healthcare workers, we have to show up and be able to take care of other people. And just as a pilot says, you know, if the plane is going down, put your mask on and then put somebody else's mask on 
you have to save yourself. I had to make sure that we, and, and the committee leads, we had to make sure that we had our mask on so that we could provide the best care to our patients. And so that's why it was so critical to do what we call pulse checks. I need to see if you're breathing okay. Because we have to show up every day. We may be grieving for our husbands and our brothers and our dads and our uncles, but we have patients that have to be cared for. So we cannot stay in a space of sadness. We've got to put our mask on and get back out so we can put the mask on for others. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So Monique, I'm going to stay with you for uh, another minute here. Based on everything that you and Lynn have been talking about, I think that one thing becomes perfectly clear, but I want to put an underscore, double lines under it, and put it into bold letters. Engaging and attracting people into your group is not a one and done. It's not like you do something and then you just have a formula and forevermore you are attracting and engaging people. To me, it sounds more like you basically, and you, you've used that word a couple of times about pulse, and I think Lynn used it also. You have to keep your hand on the pulse of what's going on to your community and then respond to it. How do you personally do that, Monifa? Well, in the Charlotte community, I'm very engaged, uh, and I serve on several boards outside of Atrium Health, which, I, which is not connected to my role in Atrium Health. So I, I'm always pretty in the know on what's going on. I also have an, an incredible steering committee who they also keep keep the pulse on everything. What you know, what's going on? Because we have to again, we have to address quickly. So, as an example, in December, one of our steering committee members, someone gave the information to her that one of our uh, our um, women's homeless shelter they were low on supplies. And so, our very first we we had not we had not even officially did our February launch, but we were just coming together. And so we put an email out and said, hey, there are a whole lot of women who look like us who need help. They don't have basic toiletries. And so we decided to do a purse pound where if you had an old purse or a gently used purse to stack it with all of the toiletries that women need. And we took them to the, the homeless women's shelter. Uh, I, I, I'll never forget um, seeing one of our displaced citizens here in Charlotte. Um, she was hiding personal uh, personal uh, items in her in her pocket and under her hat to try to have some level of discretion with her with her toiletry items so to be able to do that and to we ended up having i think 71 purses that we were able that were just packed with all kind of supplies so that's the way we keep the pulse if anybody knows anything let us know i'm very very involved in the community so i usually um pretty up on, on what's going on and so we just we address it immediately. That's excellent. And Lynn, what about you? How do you stay in the know of everything that's going on? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. You know, you mentioned you mentioned you mentioned those bigger things in the news that you know happen. So clearly, we need to stay current in what's happening in the country and in the world. Uh, but for us, uh, given we're the Armed Forces Veterans and Families Business Resource Group, you know, certainly with a keen eye on what's happening in the military. Uh, arena is certainly something we pay very close attention to. Uh, and I think ultimately, and, and, and Mo, uh, you know, kind of alluded to this, I think you really need to create an open atmosphere where people can just feel comfortable and be vulnerable and share what's on their mind. And that oftentimes will. So, uh, you know, as an example, I think I mentioned earlier that uh, June is uh, PTSD Awareness Month. And uh, you know, we have a member who came forward and said, look, this is very impactful to me and I would love to share my story and, you know, help our community and our allies and our family members understand how they can support 
people who have PTSD. So it's really just making sure that, you know, we are very inclusive and welcoming to make sure that uh, our members, our leadership in the company, everyone feels that they can raise, um, you know, areas of concern and also areas of interest that maybe we should focus more on. You know, it's interesting, as you were talking about some of the things that you guys do, I was thinking, what great advice for anybody who's a group manager, especially a formal group manager, be open, be approachable, listen, ask questions. <laughs> you know, I was just interviewing someone else the other day who was saying those little simple things are the things that uh, keep people there. So uh, we're at the top of the hour now. So let me ask you this. If any of my listeners want to contact you, what's a good email address or LinkedIn or however it is that you prefer to be reached? Uh, Lynn, why don't you go ahead? Sure. So my email address is L. P-E-L-L-E-R-A-N-O at M-A-S-S-M-U-E-U-A-L.com. So Lynn Pellerano, uh, L. Pellerano at MassMutual.com. And I also can be reached on, on LinkedIn at, as Lynn Pellerano. Fantastic. Thank you. And, and Monifa, what about you? Well, I can be reached on LinkedIn as well, uh, Monifa Drayton. My email address is M-O-N is in nice, I-F is in Frank, A- dot drayton d-r-a-y-t-o-n at atriumhealth.org fantastic lynn monifa thank you for joining me today on erg power talk so here's my take on what we learned in the second half of this episode that focused on how to maintain the attraction and engagement of your group one The world is constantly in flux, so you as a resource group leader must continuously keep learning. Two, you need to keep your finger on your group's pulse. Three, you need to keep track of current events that impact your group. Four, you must be prepared to evolve as needed. And finally, five, if you want to make your gains become a continuing legacy, you need to make all the practices that produce that attraction and engagement institutionalized so that they're passed on to the next generation of resource group leaders. That reminds me of a quote I ran across a few years ago from a fellow named Tom Robbins. He said, a truly stable system expects the unexpected, is prepared to be disrupted, waits to be transformed. That sounds like wonderful advice for leaders of resource groups that want to continue to attract and engage members. Be prepared to be disrupted and always be ready to be transformed. This is the last episode of this season of ERG Power Talk, so let me just say that it has been truly my pleasure to serve you. Please keep writing to me. I love the feedback and ideas for future episodes. I'll be back with season three before you know I'm gone. Ciao for now. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. By the way, contact me if you're looking for an ERG symposium keynote or a leader for your strategy workshop, new chair onboarding, and or ERG bootcamp. I can run these for you either in person or in a virtual setting. Also, for more great ideas and tips for your ERGs, get my book, Supercharge Your ERGs, 18 Tips to Power Up Your ERG Strategy on Amazon.com. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.